1, the first chapter of the book of Psalms. I want you to hold your spot there. Uh, we're going to get there here in just a few minutes. Psalms chapter 1 is where we're going to be. We're going to be continuing here in this series that we call Context. For many of you, you've been here through all three mes- or four messages, I guess now, uh, counting today, of this series. Uh, the first two I preached last Sunday, I heard that uh, Adam... Uh, just did a phenomenal job preaching that on like two and a half, three hours of sleep uh, after two uh, flight delays coming back from leading the Nevada mission team. And, uh, and so I'm looking forward to hearing that message. But today is the fourth message in this series, the series entitled Context. And so what we've been doing here through this series is really helping us to understand the importance of being good students of God's Word. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, you see the verse on the overhead reminds us of the need to handle God's word correctly. It says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. And that emphasis there is accurately handling God's word. We want to be good students of God's word. We want to handle God's word rightly. And the whole reason that this series is important is because when we do not read God's word in context, we begin to take things out of context, we misapply them, we misunderstand them, and that gets us into territory that God never intended. His word, the Bible, I mean, this is an invaluable tool for you. However, I liken it to some degree to your phone, right? You've got a phone there. Hopefully, you're not checking news and sports and scores and weather and those kind of things right now. But you've got a phone there in front of you that you use, more than likely. And that phone has a lot of upside to it. It's got a lot of value. That phone can be used for, ultimately, a lot of good, right? You can take pictures of kids and grandkids and family and friends. You can use that phone to call 911 if there's ever a need, right? There's uh, uh, multiple ways that that phone is very good. However, that same phone can also be used, ultimately, in very, very bad ways. It can be used to access uh, uh, websites that you don't need to be, be going to. It can be used to spread lies about people, right, when you shoot texts out. I mean, that phone inherently is neither good nor evil. It's what we do with it that makes the difference. And in a similar way, Scripture is the same. This is God's Word. This is without error. This is inherently God's uh, manner in which He speaks to us today, in addition to His Spirit as well. But this is God's Word. This is infinitely good for us to use. However, if we're not careful, we can take it out of context, and we can begin to move into areas God didn't intend, and we can see ultimately difficulties that come in our lives because we did not handle the Word of Truth in a way that was accurate, and in a way that God would intend. And so through this series, we've, we've thrown out as we've gone a few different uh, Bible study tips, I guess you could say. This is where this series is a little different than any other because at the same time as preaching through messages, I'm also trying to give some helps for you in regards to your own personal Bible study. And we've covered just a few so far up to today, three specifically. So let me hit those real quickly and then we'll move on to the passage and the message for this morning. At the very beginning of the series, the first tip that I gave you was that context determines meaning. Whenever you read scripture, context, the context in which it was written, always determines meaning. In the same way that you often at times perhaps have been misunderstood because someone heard a snippet of what you said, but they didn't hear the context in which it was said, it's the same for scripture. We have to read it in context. We can grab any verse we want, kick it and scream and dragging it out of context and make it say what we want it to say. However, to understand what God's intent is, we have to read Scripture in context. Context determines meaning. So how do we read the Bible in context? One way is that we can apply what I call the 20-20 rule when we're reading Scripture. Read 20 verses or so before the passage we're reading and about 20 verses or so after the passage we're reading. And what that does is, is it keeps us, helps us rather, not to take one verse out of context, but to read it in the context in which it was written. 
So context determines meaning. We can apply the 2020 rule to help us to read scripture in context. Then a couple of weeks ago, I just gave you a simple little tip that whenever you choose Bible study helps, when you're doing your own personal Bible study, and I hope you are, that you want to choose those, those helps carefully. Be careful about where you go on the internet to, to find websites to help you understand scripture. There are thousands upon thousands that are out there, many of them that are reputable, reputable and good, others that will, uh, that, that will really cause more, more difficulties than, than, uh, than benefit for you. You want to be sure that whether it's a Bible study resource, a Bible dictionary, a commentary, an online resource, that they treat scripture as God's word without error, inspired by God and available for us today to use and to apply to our lives. And so those were just some of the tips we've looked at. This morning, let's go ahead and add to that list. So I'm going to give you a fourth Bible study tip for you, hopefully to apply, to keep in mind. And this one is extremely important because what this tip deals with is the obstacle that we can sometimes be to understanding Scripture and applying it the way God intends. And so for us this morning, this is our first point, but running total, this is number four. Jot it down. Keep it in mind, and the simple principle is this, that Scripture always outweighs our own feelings and our own experiences. Always Scripture outweighs our personal feelings, and it outweighs our personal experiences. All of us have an invisible scale, right? Uh, what was it? Was it The Midnight in the Garden, that, that movie that had the bird lady? Was that it? it was, she had little scales out there if you want to picture that and make it helpful. I'm not much of a scale, I guess, but uh, I'll, I'll do my best. All of us have an invisible scale, right? And this invisible scale, we activate whenever we're uh, having to make a decision, whenever we're making a choice, whenever we're demonstrating a preference. We all have this invisible scale. You've got one. I've got one. We've never seen it with our eyes, but it exists. Somewhere in us, we have this invisible scale. For example, when you're trying to decide which type of ice cream to eat. And you're making a decision. Somebody says, hey, you want some ice cream? Yeah, I'd love some ice cream. What kind do you have? I've got vanilla and I've got chocolate. Immediately in your mind, somewhere in there, you pull out that invisible scale and you begin to weigh out vanilla. And then if you're a, a very, very good person, chocolate always weighs more than vanilla, right? So, so chocolate weighs more than vanilla for you. And so you say, yeah, just give me a bowl of chocolate. Thank you very much. There's that invisible scale Somewhere in there that activates and it weighs out your preference. Say, for example, you, uh, you desire to uh, engage in a hobby, whether it's golf or shopping or whatever it might be, and uh, you have to make a decision. You know, I've been away for a few days. Do I go play golf? Do I go shopping? Or do I spend time with the kids? Do I spend time with my family? Okay? I'm not saying golf or shopping is wrong. Don't take it that far. Uh, but I'm just saying, so you have to make a decision. And you activate, right, without even knowing it, that, that scale that exists somewhere in, in you. And you begin to weigh out, do I want to go play golf or do I want to spend time with the kids? Which is more important, all right? And so you've been away for a while, you've been off on business, or you've been out of town for whatever reason, and you decide, you know what, spending time with the family weighs more than going and doing what I want to do for myself this time, so I'm going to spend time with the family. That, that, that preference weighs more. One person told me after the first service, they said, or you can take the kids to play golf. Whoop, they come right back into balance, right? So, so uh, I guess it just sort of depends maybe how your scale operates. But we all have this invisible scale. And that invisible scale helps us to make decisions. It, it, it kicks into gear when it deals with our desires, when it deals with our preferences, when it deals with our choices. That scale kicks into gear. Now, sometimes, however, that scale can get us in trouble. If we merely go by our feelings, imagine you wake up one morning, and uh, it's been a, a Monday morning, maybe you hit the road, traveled over the weekend, 
or you had a really busy weekend, you did yard work all day and it's 191 degrees outside the whole weekend and you worked all weekend, Monday morning comes, your clock goes off and that scale cranks into place, right? And you're thinking, you know what? Uh, do I sleep in or do I go to work? Do I sleep in or do I go to work? I think I'm going to sleep in. And then you find out your boss's scale said, ah, you should have been at work and you get fired, right? So sometimes that scale can get us in trouble. Here's why. Because our feelings don't always match up with what is true. Our feelings don't always line up with Scripture. I mean, let's truth be told, if we always followed our feelings, I mean, we would all be locked up at some point in our lives, right? We'd all be in trouble. We would all be bankrupt. We'd all be, you know, off in the high weeds somewhere. If we followed our feelings always, our feelings ultimately are going to lead us astray. And so whenever we come to that place in our lives where we have to make a decision, we can't always trust our feelings, We have to go to another source. And in the same way that that invisible scale exists, right, as you make decisions and as you chart out your preferences and and as you you sort of balance your attitudes, you know, when you follow your feelings, that same scale exists when we deal with with Scripture, the truth of God's Word. There are times where we'll read a passage of Scripture, and it's not that we don't understand it because it's too deep. It's not because we don't understand it because the context is a little bit hazy and we don't know quite what to do with this passage. But when we read a passage of Scripture that is clear as day, and yet we don't necessarily want to apply it to our lives, that scale kicks into place. And we begin to have to make a decision, do I follow my feelings or do I follow the truth specifically of God's Word. Here's what it sounds like sometimes when we begin to weigh our feelings against Scripture. It sounds like this. Well, I know what the Bible says, but I feel like fill in the blank. Oh, I know what the Bible says, but I feel like, and at that point we are bringing out the scale and we are weighing Scripture against our feelings. And if our feelings weigh more than Scripture, God's truth then we're going to get ourselves in trouble, trouble eventually. It's going to lead us over the guardrail, into the ditch. It's going to lead us into territory God never intended, and it's going to ultimately cost us. I know what the Bible says, but I feel like... I know what the Bible says, but I've got an aunt, I've got an uncle, I've got a friend of mine. Their experience was... right, And we're weighing suddenly the truth of God against our experiences. See, that invisible scale kicks in whenever we come to God's Word. And there are numerous times, you, you don't need me to tell you if, you, if you are a student of Scripture, you've been there, I've been there, where we're up against face-to-face a truth of God in His Word, and we're having to, to decide, am I going to twist God's Word to fit my preference, or am I going to twist and conform my life to fit the truth of God's Word? And that has everything to do with weighing Scripture as heavier, weightier, more authoritative, ultimately, than our, own, than our own feelings and our own experiences. See, there, there are physical laws that operate, that govern our universe in which we live. And, and you know this. Take gravity, for example. Uh, it, it would be ludicrous for us to argue against gravity, right? You know? I mean, I know gravity exists. Throw the ball up, ball comes down. You know? uh, toss something out of a window, it hits the ground. Right? We know gravity exists. None of us sit around. You don't have, hopefully, anybody at work. If you do, you need a new job. You don't have anybody at work, hopefully, that says, you know what? I understand this whole stuff about gravity, but I feel like, 
Gravity doesn't always apply. You know, you don't, you don't, you've never met anybody like that. They understand, they embrace the fact that that physical law exists. Boiling point of water, 212 degrees, right? Do you have a coworker that says, well, I think the boiling point of water should be 200 degrees, not 212, right? You've never done this. Uh, hopefully, you need to just kind of move away from that person because it... You might not want to be there. Nobody argues those things. Those are physical laws that govern our physical universe. And in the same way, there are spiritual laws that govern our relationship with God. And those spiritual laws are captured here in the pages of his word. 66 individual books comprised in one nice paperback, hardback, leather-bound book we call the Bible. And this Bible captures for us the spiritual laws that govern our relationship with God. And it covers, in many ways, the gamut of human relationship, the gamut of human life. It speaks to our finances, speaks to our relationships, speaks to the spiritual part of our lives, speaks to the workplace. It speaks to anything we can imagine. God's Word speaks to that. And where He speaks, He tells the truth. And where He speaks, He speaks authoritatively. And what happens is oftentimes in the lives of believers, of Christians, those who don't have a relationship with God don't care what this book says. It's not even an issue weighing God's truth against against their feelings or or their experiences. It's in the life of the believer where we get so so, uh, in trouble because we weigh our feelings as more authoritative than what God's Word says. I don't know of many other passages better than Psalm chapter 1 that help us to see this. Psalm chapter 1, you've got it in front of you. It's just six short verses. And I want to read the first three verses and then the final three verses. And it's in this passage, I think, that we see really, really well the value of living our lives according to Scripture, not based on our feelings. And then at the same time, reaping the reward that that brings every single time. Psalm chapter 1, let's begin in verse 1 through verse 3. You can read with me. It says, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Let's just hold that right there for just a moment before we read verse 3. Each message that I've, that I've shared uh, every Sunday in this series, I've given you a verse to take home and to memorize through the course of that week. Um, this is going to be it for this week. Now, I know what you're thinking. All right, Brooks, I'm having a hard time with one verse. This is two now. Yep, you get two. It's a freebie, right? The second one's a freebie. And so you're going to be memorizing these two verses the course of this week. I've got my card right here, right, in my pocket. There it is, right there. Helps me memorize that particular two verses. And, uh, and so I really encourage you to do this because every time you read this, every time you remember this, every time you quote these two verses, hopefully it's going to remind you that it's God's Word that carries authority in your life. Not the way you feel, not the experiences of others around you, not the opinions of others. It's what God's Word says. And look at the progression that this paints for us here. It says, how blessed is the man who does not walk, who does not stand, and who does not sit. That's a progression there. Think about a relationship, right? You, you meet someone, you begin to spend time with them. Imagine you're just kind of walking along the way, sharing thoughts, sharing attitudes, sharing ideas, you're sort of walking along the way. As that relationship begins to grow, it suddenly evolves not just to walking, but now you're, you're standing, right? You're spending more time together. You're lingering together. That relationship is growing just a little bit deeper to the point to where finally over time it involves the point where you're now sitting and you're not just lingering. You're not just 
uh, speaking about ideas and thoughts, but rather you are now invested in one another. You are now spending time together. That's somewhat of the word picture that the psalmist gives here. He says, how blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. In other words, how blessed is the man who doesn't think the way the world thinks, who pushes God to the, to the, to the curb. How blessed is the man who doesn't think according to the world's ways, who doesn't take another step deeper and then begin to stand in the path of sinners, who doesn't live the way the world lives, and how blessed is the man who doesn't take that final step to where he begins to ultimately sit in the seat of scoffers. Then now he's not just thinking like the world, he's not just not living like the world, but rather he chooses not to belong to the world either. See, it's a progression. He says, how blessed is the man who chooses not to do those things, verse 2, but his delight is what? His delight is in the law of the Lord. That's a reference to the word. It's a reference to scripture. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law, he meditates day and night. The word meditates means he chews on it. He considers it. He doesn't just read it, forget it, and then move on. Rather, he holds it, his life up against that word, and he evaluates his life in light of God's truth. How blessed is the man, he says, who ultimately meditates on the word of God, meditates on the law of God. Day and night, he's living his life in conformity to the truth of the Lord. Verse 3, he continues and he says, He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf doesn't wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. God peels the curtain back just a bit. And he says, whoever, whatever man, woman, boy, girl, chooses to have a relationship with God and to pattern their life after the truth of God's word, no matter how hard that may be at times, that's going to be the person, God says, who's going to live a life that's fruitful. And that's the person who's going to live a life of abundance. And that's a person who's going to live a life of prosperity. There's no mention of dollar signs here, okay? Don't go to where a lot of Stuff you hear, you know, on TV, right, to where if you really have faith, you're going to have a bunch of money in your wallet. It doesn't say anything about that here. The picture is a tree that is planted by streams of water. It never goes dry. There is never a dry season. The water is always available, and that tree always produces fruit, and it's always abundant. It's, it's always flourishing. God says that's the picture of the life that roots itself in God's Word. It doesn't say hard times aren't going to come. <laughs> Jesus knew that. It doesn't say there won't be times when you at times feel dry or when you struggle, as Jacob did in Genesis 32, when you struggle in your relationship with God. It doesn't, doesn't mean that, you, we're, we're gonna be, uh, uh, that those times are going to be non-existent, but it means overarching our lives will be prosperity, will be abundance, will be fruitfulness. Why? Because we delight ourselves in the law of the Lord. We delight ourselves in his word. So whenever we face that balance between our feelings, right, and scripture, scripture always must weigh more because following our feelings will oftentimes lead us further and further from God. Through the years, I've had conversations with people, Christians, who have wrestled with feeling versus truth. One example that immediately comes to mind, not naming a person because no specific person comes to mind when I tell this, but just historically through the years, been here 15 years now, and I've had my share of these kinds of conversations. I'll hear from time to time a person say in the context of marriage, well, God wants me to be happy. And so I found this person that I'm not married to 
who makes me happy. Why would God not want me to pursue this when he wants me to be happy? Feeling versus Scripture. Scripture says clearly, Old Testament, New Testament alike, that marriage is a covenant. It's to be unbroken. What God has joined together, let no man separate. Scripture speaks very clearly that it's marriage is something to be taken not lightly, but as one of the most important decisions, the most important decision perhaps that we'll ever make outside of who will be our Lord. Scripture says in Ephesians 5, in addition to many other places, that the husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church, and the wife is to see to it that she respects her husband. Doesn't mean difficult days won't come, doesn't mean challenges won't be there, doesn't mean there won't have to be some very, very difficult knee-to-knee, eyeball-to-eyeball conversations to make that marriage work, doesn't mean that those times won't come, but it means that marriage is a covenant that God takes very seriously. And if we really believe that God is also still in the miracle working business, no matter how difficult a marriage may become, it is never at a place of hopelessness. And so when a person stands in that place to say, you know what, I feel like getting out, I feel like pursuing this other relationship, what often happens is their feeling outweighs scripture and it begins a cycle of disobedience that for some they never recover from. The picture in Scripture in Psalm chapter 1 is that God blesses that obedience. He blesses when we live life according to his word. But cost comes whenever we choose to step away. Maybe for some, the picture is a little bit different. It has nothing to do with marriage. It has everything to do with forgiveness. You know, this person hurt me. They stabbed me in the back. They abandoned me. They betrayed me. They said bad things about me. I could never trust them again. I could never forgive them for what they've done. Even though Scripture says very clearly, right, that we're called to forgive as Christ loved the church, or or called to forgive as Christ has forgiven us. It's not always easy. It's very difficult. Sometimes it takes a season to be able to do that, not just an instantaneous moment where we are able, obviously, to begin to forgive again, right? But whenever a person says, you know what, I can never forgive, and I'm not going to forgive, I'm going to carry out vengeance against this person for what they did, or I'm going to always hate them, I'm never going to you know, love them, I'm always going to be unforgiving towards them, what happens is then their feelings begin to outweigh what Scripture has clearly commanded us. Scripture no longer is authoritative. What happens is, is that our feelings then become authoritative, and feelings outweigh Scripture, and trouble comes as a result. For others, it's in the area of salvation. You know what? I just feel like, I know what the Bible says, but I feel like good people should go to heaven. I mean, didn't Disney say that about dogs? All good dogs go to heaven, right? So shouldn't all good people go to heaven, right? Disney, man, that's authoritative right there. They make good movies, right? I mean, that's Disney. I mean, if all good dogs go to heaven, shouldn't all good people go to heaven? I just feel, I know what the Bible says, but I feel like all good people ought to go to heaven. That's not what the Bible teaches. None of us are worthy of salvation. And yet God in his grace and his infinite love chose ultimately to send his son to die on the cross so that all of us who are bankrupt spiritually can have the opportunity to be forgiven and the slate wiped clean and to be in a relationship with God that he will never ever abandon from that point forward. But we cannot believe that if we're good enough, I'm going to go to heaven just because I feel like the way it should be. Scripture tells us clearly that no one gets to the father except through Jesus multiple other passages, and yet oftentimes what happens is believer after believer after believer fall into this misunderstanding that, you know what, I think good people probably do go to heaven because that all, it's just the way it ought to be. And their feelings ultimately weigh more than Scripture. Psalm chapter 1 paints such a clear, clear picture. Verse 4 through verse 6, the wicked are not so. 
The wicked do not delight in the law of the Lord, but they're like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. When we abandon the truth of God's word, when we abandon his word, we ultimately begin to abandon him. And when we abandon God and we walk according to our feelings, we walk according to what we think things should be like, there is always a cost that ultimately comes. Always. We have to keep that principle in mind. That scripture always outweighs our feelings. What about following my heart? All right. Dr. Phil, Oprah, countless Judge Judy, who, you know, all the others right on TV probably would be glad to say, follow your heart. You got to follow your heart. You got to pursue your, follow your heart. Proverbs 28, 26, he who trusts in his own heart is a fool. (laughs) You know, again, if we followed our heart, we'd all be in trouble at some point here or there. We cannot let scripture be outweighed by our feelings. I remember when I was in seminary, uh, I had a professor, um, Jason had him as well. Uh, His name's Dr. Reed when we were in seminary. And uh, Dr. Reed was just, he was unlike any other seminary professor. He, he wasn't boring, you know, he, he was just uh, energetic, vibrant, and still is. I don't, I don't think he's passed away or anything. So he's real vibrant, you know, just energetic, just on fire for the Lord. He's an evangelism professor. But he also did a class on uh, revival and spiritual awakenings. You know, we're, we're praying, um, uh, some of us around here um, are praying really for God to bring revival to this church in a way like never before. It starts with the individual, right? And it, and it begins to flow out to every single person. We're praying for God to bring revival. And we're praying for God to bring awakening in this community. There are a lot of lost people in this community that if they died today, they would be totally and completely unprepared to stand before the God who created them. And what we're praying for is that God will bring revival on the inside to our hearts and our walks. While at the same time praying for God to bring a, an awareness, an awakening, so to speak, in the lives of those that live in this community. Well, in this class that I was in with Dr. Reed in seminary, probably 20 years or so ago almost, um, I remember he talked about what revival looks like and what revival doesn't look like. And it's interesting because we see some of this even still today. Some of you may be familiar, there are certain movements that have taken place in the last 20 years in our own country, 20, 25 years, where they're mistakenly called revival, uh, but really they're not. Some of these experiences show people, right, in a church setting or an auditorium, there's a preacher they're preaching, and they're like barking like animals, and they call that revival, they call that the movement of the Holy Spirit, or they're laughing hysterically and uncontrollably, or totally lose control, and, and yet they say, this is what revival looks like. Listen, that is so much based on feeling and experience, and so not based on Scripture. And, and here's one of the reasons, because one of the very fruits of the Holy Spirit himself is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, Self-control, right? There is no place in Scripture ever do we ever see that Jesus ascended the Mount of Olives, he knelt down and prayed to the Father, and then got up running around the Mount of Olives like a crazy man, right? Barking like a dog and uh, laughing hysterically. There's nowhere in Scripture do we see that. Nowhere. And we have to be careful because even in a spiritual context, if we are not, if we are not mindful, we will in a spiritual way gravitate from the truth of God's Word Revival looks like this, according to Scripture. It looks a lot like Nehemiah 8 and Nehemiah 9, when people, after being exposed to God's Word, their hearts are broken over over their own sin, and they cry out to God in repentance, and they covenant with God to walk in obedience like they had not walked in a long, long time. That's what revival looks like. It's when God's people come to God in humility and in awe and in reverence, 
And in self-control, they are surrendering themselves to God like they haven't in a long time. That's the biblical picture of revival. And there are many instances in our lives, for all of us, I'm telling you, where we come face to face with a passage of Scripture, and it is a hard passage of Scripture to apply because it's going to, it's going to involve a lot of heavy adjustment. There are times that I read Scripture, and it's like, man, oh, man. I wish I did not just read that there because now I have to do business with this particular passage. Either I have to choose to align my life with it and make some significant adjustments or I have to trust in my own feelings and just choose to believe that, well, maybe God has a separate path that doesn't include this particular verse. When we come to those places, Scripture has to outweigh our feelings, has to outweigh our experiences. And by the way, we need to keep in mind the last principle that we're going to look at this morning, and I'll be done. The last principle is this, that God will never lead you to ever do anything contrary to his written word. If we ever come to a place in our lives where we feel like, you know, I think God is leading me to do this, and it's contrary to what he's already expressed in his word, God ain't leading us to do whatever we think he's leading us to do. If, God, if we ever feel like God is telling us that we need to do something contrary to his word, his word always trumps whatever we feel. Always. And so the question, I guess, for us this morning is to determine, is there an area of my life where I've allowed my feelings and my personal belief to weigh more than what God has already communicated in Scripture? Is there an area of your life where you have convinced yourself that God's truth and His Word doesn't apply to your circumstance or to you because you feel differently and to where as a result of that you have stiff-armed His truth completely to the curb in your life? Is there an area of your life where feeling or experience weighs heavier than God's truth? And then the second question, what is it that keeps you perhaps from making the adjustment that's needed to move away from your feeling to the solid ground of living according to the truth of God's word? When we live according to his word, It's not always easy. Pastors have been fired because of it. Martyrs have been martyred because of it. I'm not saying that it is a smooth road when you live according to Scripture, but I am saying with all my heart, Psalm 1 still applies, that it is the ultimate fruitful, abundant, prosperous life, is living in delight for the law of the Lord. Anything less, following our heart, basing our lives on our feelings, will only lead us into trouble. How much of a delight do you have for God's word? If that delight has waned, are you willing to pray today, God, would you reignite in me or ignite for the first time a hunger and a passion for your word where I can say, as with the psalmist, that I have a delight for the truth of God. If you've never given your heart to Christ today, If you don't have a relationship with God to start with, hey, listen, the God who made you is a God who wants to save you. 
It's his desire. It's why he has held back for so long of even returning in the first place, is that he's not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And that includes any here today who've never given their lives to Christ. He wants a relationship with you. You need a relationship with him. And today, right where you sit, without having to jump through a bunch of hoops or get better or clean up some area of your life, God says, if you'll just turn from your sin, place your faith in the person of Jesus, that I will hear your prayer, I will take over your life, I will forgive your sin, I'll wipe the slate clean, and I'll be your God from this day forward. And the only thing waiting is your invitation for Jesus to forgive you and to be your Savior. So what decision stands before you today? Where is it that God may be leading, and how willing are you to follow? Let's pray. God, we thank you this morning for the truth of your word. It is our, it's our guardrail, Lord. It keeps us on the path that you'd have us to be. Numerous times in our lives, it's been a corrective measure that you've used to help draw us back to where we need to be when we've wandered. Lord, your word is a light to our path, a lamp to our feet. Lord, your word is a comfort. Your word gives us the knowledge we need about who you are. And your word helps us to understand better who we are and how desperately we need you. God, I pray today, Lord, that as you stir and as you move in our lives, that we'll be quick to follow. And Lord, that you'd help us to remember the simple principle that when we come face to face with the truth of your word, that when our feelings begin to, to sprout up and whenever we have a tendency to, to weigh the scales more towards how we feel, may we always check ourselves. May we always follow the lead that you've set out clearly in your word, allowing scripture to weigh more than even our own feelings. Lord, I pray that over the course of time, that as our lives bear the witness of maturity and of blessing, God, because we're people of your word, Lord, we pray that we'll be very quick to give you all the credit and all the glory. And Father, we thank you today that you do continually speak into the lives of those who are willing to listen and to hear. God, for those that have never placed their faith in Jesus, Lord, we pray this morning that you, as you stir in their hearts, would give them the courage to lay down their sin and to cry out to Jesus to forgive and to, to save and to take over. And God, that they would follow him from this day forward. But Lord, it begins with a choice. And so Lord, we thank you that, that you desire a relationship with us, that you desire a life that's yielded to you each day. And God, we pray that you'd get the honor today for the changes you make in the lives of those who follow you this morning. And so bless this time of decision. We thank you for what you'll do. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.